And so we have uh, Dr. Nakisha Hammond, who is America's favorite psychologist uh, with us today. And we're really, what I've asked her to kind of address for us is really how do we develop some, some psychological safety? We recognize we're in a very polarized political environment, uh, a world that is turning more to fake news than it is to, to, to real news or, or even caring about what, what science has to say about things, right? So Dr. Hammond, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and, uh, and then we'll get into kind of helping me solve some of my problems. Yes. Um, yes. And I, I'm glad you, it's such a great topic. So I'm, I'm really excited to talk about it. Uh, so I am in the Tampa Bay area of Florida. I am a psychologist, as you mentioned, and an author and a speaker and a television host of Parenting Explained with Dr. Hammond. And I really enjoy the opportunity to speak to various groups um, about, you know, these types of issues, particularly with mental health, because it is critical that we are having these conversations in our country. Yeah, so, uh, so so I do know that you have a book, and it, this is a shameless yeah. plug. So so if you can tell me a little bit about your your, your book and um, and how how does parenting um, or what what have you learned about parenting that we can apply to kind mm -hmm. of psychological safety? Yeah, definitely. Um, so my newest book is ADHD Explained: What Every Parent Needs to Know. Of course, as you know, and many of us know, ADHD is overdiagnosed. Uh, so in that book, I really wanted to give parents the tools to understand what ADHD is and it isn't and how to properly assess if there is ADHD. Um, and, and as you mentioned, parenting is so important, especially when we're talking about diversity and inclusion, because many of the ideas that people hold, frankly, begin in childhood <laughs> and begin with what they learn from their families, what they're learning from their peers and their environment. And that continues on into the adult years. So parenting is so important, important to teach our children to be kind and to be accepting of others, no matter that they have differences. And even if you know, a, a parent has a child that's um, an ethnic minority, let's say, to teach them um, how, to, how to function in a world where they're not necessarily the, the majority. So it's, there's a lot of conversations that we really need to have uh, in, in parenting, for sure. Yeah. So... so it's it's very interesting. I read a book that was pretty profound, and it, and it was you know everything that I needed to to learn about life I learned in kindergarten. Oh yeah, yeah. So, why do you think those lessons of you know fairness and mm. um, and being kind mm. and have been kind of tossed to the side? What do you think has led to some of that? You know, and, and I, I hate that. I think what's led to that is we've become, which I totally, totally disagree with, we've become such a society, not that education and reading and writing and math and science are not important. Obviously they are, but we've become so focused on the academics and we've forgotten how to teach children how to be socially and emotionally healthy, which really is going to take them into their adult years because you can be a straight A student, know all of the academic material that you would like to, but if you're going into the real world and you don't know how to interact with people that are different with you, you don't have acceptance of people of different, the way they look, their religion, or whatever it is that makes them apart from you, it's going to be really difficult to function in society. Um, so I think, I'm my hope, I know some schools are doing this, it's not mainstream as yet, I would say, but some schools are really thinking about the social emotional learning piece and teaching children how to be kind to someone, 
and teaching them. I mean, they have books with people that have two mommies or two daddies or, you know, have a different religion than you, look different than you. These are things that we need to be teaching our children so they're not shocked uh, when they go into the real world. And, and this is the reality, you know, and we, we absolutely, we have to, we have to make these changes and we're slowly doing it but we really have to be on that path if we want to be helpful and productive in society. Somewhere, either people forgot those lessons that you just talked about from their early childhood, or they just didn't get those lessons. And so we're, right. this, this particular uh, article was talking about how we are in a civil war in slow motion. Mm. And so uh, if I don't want to participate in this kind of polarized mm-hmm. uh, in, in environment, and I actually want to be helpful, and I want to, uh, to, to figure out how to have conversations with people who I think may be different from me, what are mm-hmm. some tips that, that you've seen have been uh, effective in, in family systems that we actually mm-hmm. can apply here in the workplace as it relates yeah. to diversity and inclusion? Yeah, um, so what is really helpful in family systems is, is really to teach children or to teach families to ask questions and to not assume things about others. Because what I've seen a lot of times is that uh, even you know, a child or a teen, they'll have an experience, maybe a negative experience with a certain group of people, and all of a sudden they think the world, the entire world is like that. You know, for black people or for Hispanic people or Asian people or whatever group or you know, a certain religion or, I mean, that is completely unrealistic. We know that. Um, but that is how stereotypes begin. That is how discrimination begins and, and racism and prejudice and all of these things that we hear. So instead, if we have these conversations and there's something that you don't understand about something and you can learn to ask them in an appropriate way about it, you're actually going to be, and, and I've, I've met teens, it's, it's really cool actually, that I've learned to do that. Um, appropriately ask, not offensively, but appropriately asking someone about the way they live and not making these assumptions um, because that is where the dangers leave. And that is where, well, we see in the media um, right now that, yeah, as you mentioned, it's a slow civil war. It's very, very sad, um, but that's where we need to start. Yeah, so, so a lot of people have said that, you know, we, we've come to this place uh, because people are, um, are afraid or, or, mm-hmm. um, or, or fearful. Is that an oversimplification of, of, of kind of our, our, our social discourse um, or, or is there something to that? That's a part of it. I mean, so much has changed. So, you know, here we are in 2018 and I mean, social media is just, I mean, it's here, it's here to stay. Right. But with that comes pros and cons. And, you know, I think even over the last, I don't know, couple years or so, we're, we see so much. We have this video technology. I mean, every, everything's, on, everything's on record now, right? So people, I mean, they're starting to have a shift in their thinking and it's, it is, uh, it's producing anger, understandably, in people. When you see police brutality, when you see discrimination, when you see all these biases that are out there, and not that you don't know that it exists, but when, I mean, it's clear, it's on video. You, you can't really get any clearer than that. So I think over the last you know, a couple years or so having that piece of evidence has really changed the landscape of what we're seeing, what we're understanding, and for kids too, kids and teens, I mean, for everyone. Um, but it does produce, like I said, there's pros and cons. It, it increases awareness, but it also increases anger and frustration. And then, you know, the stereotypes are, uh, you know, increasing. 
Um, and then the anger is increasing and, you know, we see the violence that's increasing in certain situations. So I think the technology piece has definitely um, changed the, uh, changed the picture here. Yeah. What, what, what do you say to those people who say, you know, this diversity and inclusion stuff is, uh, is negatively impacting me? I mean, it's, mm. it's uh, keeping me out of opportunities. And, and they may as go, go far, as far as to say, um, I'm experiencing reverse discrimination because of all of these things. Yeah. What well, advice or what would you say to someone who may be having those, those feelings? Yeah, and, and I, I will say, obviously, by the way I look, um, I'm a bit biased in saying this. I, I absolutely don't agree with that. I mean, we know, well, people know the reality is, and there's many studies that show, whether it's getting into um, a prestigious university or certain jobs or whatever it is, if the uh, diversity and inclusion training or initiatives were not in place, the fact is there would be way less uh, people of ethnic backgrounds or diverse backgrounds in you know many diverse ways I mean that has been the trend so to say let's do away with these programs and to not push these initiatives then we're we're reversing <laughs> the progress that we're making and trying to bring people of many diverse you know backgrounds whether it's a physical disability whether it's um, there's a person that's gay or lesbian or you know, different religion, whatever the diversity issue is, I mean, the goal to me is to make progress and to have many different seats at the table, many different perspectives uh, as a part of this workplace. But again, yes, there are some people that feel that, you know, there's di reverse discrimination, which I don't see at all. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. So as we as we think about like how to how to problem solve um, mm -hmm. some of these things, and we talk about our, our workforce, what what kinds of things can we do to help buffer our workforce um, against or from the the negative impacts of kind of this this social polarity stuff, right? So you know, if, if I have staff members who are interacting with the community and the community is disrespectful or or bigoted or or hateful in, in some kind of way in their interactions, what kinds of things can I can I give my my my, my staff my my coworkers mm -hmm. to to help them kind of be buffered from some of this negativity? Yeah. Um, so, well, two things. One, I think that it is when it comes to a workplace, it's definitely about the culture that is set from the start in the workplace. So, for, for instance, um, certain workplaces, when people are joking about all sorts of diverse issues, they're making jokes, they're, you know, it's laughing, we're just really unkind things are being said, and that is accepted as what you can do there you know, discriminate and all that sort of thing, then, I mean, it, it starts to spread within the workplace versus uh, uh, just this idea or this workplace culture that we don't do that here. We're accepting of people. We're accepting of differences. Differences don't mean bad. Um, they're, you know, positive things. Um, when you set that type of environment, I mean, it's, it's great. And it, it starts to spread. Um, the second thing is that I'm always a huge fan of volunteering. And I know a lot of workplaces do a, an amazing job of having people volunteer in a variety of different arenas where they're meeting 
different groups of people and they're getting another perspective. I mean, I can think of um, you know, some volunteer groups that I've worked with, um, people that are homeless, for example. There's a lot of stereotypes about people that are homeless and half of them are not even true. Um, so, you know, learning about these different types of environments, learning about someone from a different religion, learning about someone of a different race. When you, when you sit down and you have positive interactions with the very people that you thought um, were this, that, or whatever, you know, it, it really starts to chip away at the negativity that you have. And that I think is the goal that work, uh, work sites should, should really be focused on. Um, it, I think I, I'm all about, you know, the training, the, the classroom training, diversity training, which I think is good, that's textbook. But when you go out into the real world, right, and you sit down with someone and have a conversation, you're like, Man, really? You know, and you really get to learn and understand that group or that culture, it, it really starts to change you. It doesn't happen overnight, but it starts to, it really starts to change you. So those are really the two things, I think, again, inside the workplace, that culture, and then bringing the volunteer experience outside of the workplace are ways that, uh, that people can really work on a more cohesive uh, environment and productive environment, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. I also think uh, it's important for organizations to really be supportive of their employees, right? I think also, so in a workplace environment, you can also teach your staff how to be what we call allies. So you may not be Hispanic or Asian or uh, Black or whatever uh, ethnic minority group. I mean, maybe a white person, right? So oftentimes I've heard like, okay, well, what can I do to help? I don't like what I'm seeing on TV or whatever it is. What can I do to help? So in a workplace environment, well, we call it allies, um, in the diversity world, you can work on being an ally. So when you hear that negative comment or whatever it is about this group or that group, when you step in and you, I mean, within reason, not saying to be violent, but when you step in appropriately and you show that you're not standing for that, um, that again helps that culture and that environment. Um, and there's a lot of other things to do, but, but really teaching how to be an ally is, is definitely a goal I think workplaces should focus on as well. Yeah, but, but what if I say the wrong thing? Like, <laughs> you know, um, you know I, I try to be a, a good ally, but yeah. I, I don't know what, what the, new, the new terms are or... Right. So, so what should I be doing? Yeah, and that's the thing. So, and you know, so and that happens sometimes. I mean, sometimes people try to be an ally and then say something where it's like, "Ooh, wish you didn't say that." It's actually very offensive. Hopefully, the other person on the other end though can correct them. And that's what I mean though about that workplace environment and that culture to be able to do that um, would be very helpful. <laughs> um, there definitely have been times when I've uh, told people, you know, what they're saying just is not appropriate about a certain group of people or something like that. It's not that I'm saying it in a violent way to them, but trying to help them and educate them because it doesn't help to have the, uh, the beliefs that they have that are absolutely not true about a certain group of people. I mean, I've done that even with mental health. I mean, that's another, uh, you know, diversity issue is people with mental health conditions and all the negative or misinformation that people have. So I feel like I'm constantly correcting people, but in that situation, when someone says something that, they shouldn't have said hopefully that other other person can correct them and over time um i mean with learning about whatever it is that they're uh needing to learn about those things those things come with time um i mean it's not always like said a fast process but it, it comes with time 
So there's no silver bullet or checklist. I can say I went to this training or I read. It's a lifelong process. It really is. But my hope, you know, is that again, there's the, the textbook sort of, I guess, classroom training that you get. I mean, I had that even in graduate school, um, diversity training. And then, you know, throughout, I mean, there's, there's the internet, there's Google, you know, you can look up certain things and learn about certain cultures. Um, and then having the ex- interactive experience with someone um, else is another example. So it, it really, I mean, it's a lifelong process, but, but really the goal is to be interacting appropriately um, with others so that we don't have to see what we see on the news and all the violence and all the anger and all the hatred. I mean, it's, it's horrific. Yeah. The comments that people make on social media, I mean, is, it's mind blowing. Like when I read them, I'm like, how would you ever say that? It's, I mean, it's, it's horrific. Um, so. Yeah. I wonder if they would actually say it to the people to their face, right? <laughs> you know, so yeah. there's this anonymity and, and, and whatnot, but as we, as we think about next steps and we talk about, you know, we're talking about diversity and inclusion we're talking about, mm-hmm. you know, the, the workplace and things that we personally can do to, uh, are there some things, particularly, I know there's a conversation around like implicit bias and stereotype threat and, and all mm-hmm. those kinds of things that those kind of psychological diversity issues. Um, is there anything we can do to combat those kinds of things? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think the biggest thing is, I really think the biggest thing is, well, two things. One is you have to have a desire um, to want to be better. That's step one, because it's really easy, especially in your current environment, wh- whatever that looks like for someone to sort of get caught up in who's around you. They may be positive influences or not. Um, so when you're, you know, maybe if it's a negative circle, when you're caught up in that, it's hard to get out. But you, number one, have to make the commitment to be like, okay, I'm going to be better. I'm going to better myself because really you better those around you. In particular, I've um, also noticed with managers, let's say, now you're, you're managing a group of people. People are looking to you um, as a role model. So taking that step, number one, to better yourself. Number two, it definitely is about the education. It's always about the education. But again, understanding that education is not just in a book. You can read a million books, um, but sitting down with people um, face-to-face, talking to people, hearing people's stories. I mean, it's actually, well, I'm reading it right now, but um, Trevor Noah's new book, uh, I think it's uh, Born a Crime or something like that is amazing thus far. It's very educational, but just the stories and the interactions are, I mean, for someone to sit down with someone like that and listen to the stories, it really can help a person understand better what people have gone through uh, when you have not necessarily experienced the, uh, the discrimination or prejudice yourself if you're not necessarily an ethnic minority. So, yeah. I think those are some things to, to really keep in mind. So, so, it just Something just came to mind that I think is applicable in this conversation, and that's cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm. Right? Um, can, can you explain a little bit of cognitive behavioral therapy? Yeah, so cognitive behavioral therapy generally, I mean, it can be used for all sorts of things. Generally, it's used for depression or anxiety. Um, it's looking at, so cognitive meaning the thoughts. Um, people a lot of times have very negative thoughts or they have uh, very illogical thoughts, um, but you don't necessarily know that it's illogical. Um, like, I don't know, like people that have like certain fears and things like that, like you, you kind of know it's not really a lot, it's not, it doesn't really have basis, 
but you're still very afraid of whatever it is. The same thing with depression, just the negative things that you say about yourself. Um, so really it, what it does is it teaches people how to change their thought process, which of course, as we know, takes time, but it's very powerful. Our thoughts are very powerful. Um, and then the second part, um, the behavioral piece is actually the actions that you take, whatever the goals may be, the actions that you take to, um, to, get, to get your goal and to get the behavior that you desire. As far as like diversity and inclusion, for example, then you, using that type of model, cognitively, it would be trying to change the thoughts that you have. So the fact of the matter is there are people on this planet that believe XYZ group of people are horrible, they're dangerous, and everybody, uh, you know, will make me unsafe. Everybody will hurt me, right? That's, Ill that's illogical. That's not true that the whole planet of XYZ group of people are going to hurt you. Um, that would be an illogical thought. And then the behavior would be, for example, like to inter go and interact with a certain group of people. What can you do to take steps, even if it's baby steps, um, to really erase those types of thought patterns, um, which, as I mentioned, depending on how ingrained our, our negative thought processes, it does take some time. Um, but, but actually, CBT has a lot of good research and has been used with, again, many different uh, mental health conditions. So. Yeah, because I was thinking about this idea that, that you, you were saying, you know, change yourself or that you need good uh, good behaviors or whatever. And I was trying to think of like, how would I know if something is good for me or not? And mm -hmm. so uh, cognitive behavior therapy came up because the, the central theme of that is the goal, right? So if my behavior is not leading me to the goal that I'm trying to accomplish, then mm -hmm. it is, it's, a, it's considered a bad behavior. Is that correct? Right. More or less. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And so so if, if being mean and unkind to people is actually helping me achieve my goal, then I have no need to change. That, that is, that, and that's, <laughs> that's a struggle. Um, and mental health sometimes when uh, either people don't recognize, so the first step is awareness. If you don't think that there's an issue, I mean, that's like um, a person that's maybe an alcoholic that says, you know what, I function, I go to work, I take care of my kids, I'm fine, but yet you're drinking all day, every day. Like that's a good example. It's, and not thinking there's an issue with that. That does happen with many people, which is a little bit more difficult if there's not the awareness piece. If you are mean and you're rude and you say all these things, and like you said, it's, and, and you're in an environment <laughs> that says that's okay, you don't feel like you need to change. And that's what we're seeing really on social media and in the media, people that are like, you know, you know, screw this group or screw whatever. Like, I mean, there's no need to change because the people you're around believe that. What you do is accepted. It's not appropriate, but that makes it hard. Yeah, my, my pastor said, you can always find someone to agree with your foolishness. Yes. Right? And, uh, yes. It, it does seem like we're in that, that, that space. But, but hopefully the tips that you've given us today and the conversation that we've had will allow people to to analyze themselves and analyze their goals, right? So am yeah. I reaching my goals with these, with the behaviors and the thoughts that I currently have? And mm -hmm. giving us some wonderful ways to think about how to, how to shift and, and change those. So um, I'm going to say thank you again, yeah. Dr. Uh, Nikisha Hammond, America's favorite psychologist. <laughs> and I think we know why. Uh, <laughs> so any last words for us or any um, shout outs? are you doing anything exciting coming up? Yeah, I, well, I, well, back with uh, my new book, I've been uh, speaking about, obviously, ADHD. 
Um, I do have a new course that's out. It's at uh, www.adhdclass.com um, for parents and for teachers. And I really want to leave people with a reminder that it doesn't really matter how old you are. Obviously, I work with uh, mostly kids and teens, but it doesn't matter if you're, you know, 13 or if you're 31 or if you're 81. When you get to the point where you know that your actions and the awareness you have of others around you can really be impactful because it can be. And a starting point, especially in your circle, if, if you're in a negative circle, um, that's really powerful. Uh, you can make change even within your community, maybe not the whole world, but within your community. So I really want people to be aware of that. I think people that are listening to this, kudos, um, by the way, because you're, you are wanting to learn to be better for you, to be better with, for who you're around. And that right there is, I mean, it's very helpful, very powerful. And that is how change is created. So I, I want to I wanna leave those thoughts. I know there's a lot of negativity that we hear around us, but well, we can all still be vessels of hope. Yes, be vessels of hope. That is wonderful. I think I'll title that as a part of this yes. segment, right? Vessels of yeah. hope. So um, with that, we'll end today's uh, episode. This is Andre Cohen from the Office of Diversity and Inclusion at the Mayo Clinic. And this has been Speaking of diversity and inclusion.